All right, everybody, welcome back. Welcome back to another episode of the Welcome to the J podcast. I am your host, Jahans Lee Maniga, aka Canadian Red Bull. Make sure to like and subscribe to the Field of Six Day Media Network for content such as this different former players, different former coaches representing their alma mater, speaking basketball and all things university sports related. Today, we have a very, very special guest. He is the producer of the Welcome to the J podcast, the man that does everything behind the scene. He's currently in the pet band for the Creighton Blue Jays. So you might see him on the sideline with an instrument in hand. Not quite sure what he plays. We're going to figure that out today. Uh, He is Jack Hanson-Reed. Welcome to the J. Jack, welcome. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on, man. I'm excited to be on. You always give the best introductions. I try my best. I mean, like I said, everybody loves my intros and I try to make sure that people are, you know, excited to be on the pod with me. You're on the pod with me in the background pretty much every week. So you know how these things kind of go, right? Oh, I was excited for my own intro. I was waiting to hear it. <laughs> okay, so what instrument do you play? We just teased it to the people. Where can they find you on the, in the pet band? I'm drums. So right up front, you you can see me. Easy money, easy money. So do you wear like crazy shades and stuff? I remember like the drummers back in my day used to either have like a white and blue wig on, like some crease that really stands out. What do you have that stands out as you're playing? They're goofy. So I have to live up to like the last drummers who like everybody knew because they were so crazy. So I've worn mm-hmm. like neon armbands. I've like this visor that'll do. Uh, sometimes this beautiful Creighton Christmas sweater. I, I love it. I complimented you on that the second I saw you. Uh, pre-recording and everything so look it looks like i need one of those where did you get that at high key honestly it was a christmas gift so no idea well then there it is today jack and i are going to play a little bit of role reversal usually i'm the host and i'm the one who asks a whole bunch of questions this time he's going to play the role of the host and ask me a whole bunch of questions about how i feel about the current state of the jays uh we all know that the jays just beat villanova at home in their big east opener Big time game. There's a lot of stuff to get into with that. And then obviously with COVID ramping up again, they just got an automatic win at the Paul technically uh, due to a forfeit and the amount of COVID cases in the DePaul locker room. So we're going to get into that for sure. Uh, and, you know, as you guys know, you guys can always interact with us on Twitter. Uh, at jmaniga12 is my Twitter handle where you can always ask questions. If you guys want questions to be asked on the podcast, we could do that at a later date, but don't forget to drop those questions if you'd like to be featured on the podcast. Jack, I leave the rest to you, brother. Let's see where yeah, we're going man. with this. We got a fun one to talk about this week. I mean, let's start with the good news. Beating Villanova at home by 20, uh, right? I mean, defense locked in. Obviously, the shots were falling, 54% from the field. Um, former player, though, what stands out to you about the win? I said it on the podcast previously that the, they have to feed off the energy of the crowd, especially having lost at Arizona State. We were Tyler Clement breaking out that game. Uh, Tyler Clement and I both had it being a mid-60s tug-of-war type of game, understanding that a JY team doesn't beat themselves up normally. But Villanova made a lot of uncharacteristic mistakes. If you know Villanova and you know their program history, uh, they turned the ball over more than the Villanova team usually does. Uh, they weren't knocking down nearly the amount of shots. So a little bit has to do with, you know, Villanova and I wouldn't say how ill-prepared, but not how well that they played uh, per se. Uh, but hand in hand, that goes with the Jays' defense and how locked in that they were. They were closing out hard. They weren't biting for shot breaks. I think either Rob Anderson or somebody tweeted the fact that Villanova took about like 29 shot breaks and Crane only fought for two of them. 
And that's really being locked in. Uh, if you know a Villanova team, they love to use those shot picks to get into the paint to create for themselves and for others. So, um, yeah, kudos to the Jays' defense. I thought defensively they were really locked in and they fed off the energy of the crowd, which was spectacular. I was in uh, – so my setup is I have a projector in my bedroom and I have a big old white wall right in front of there. So I could, it literally looks like a, a, a theater environment as I watch the Jays' game. So I'll – I, you could hear the roar of the crowd through my Bluetooth headphones because that's how I like to really personalize every game. So the crowd like was really obviously super into it and the boys really fed off of it. When I saw Ryan Hammer knock down that three in transition and do the chest bump with, um, uh, why am I blanking on my, on my brother's name? Um, 23. Wow. Podcaster, right? You guys like this is the real life stuff, but. Uh, Talk to Trey Alexander. Uh, Trey, thank you, Trey Alexander, right? So when I saw him do that chess with Trey, I was just like, man, like the boys are super into it right now. So I think that's what really stood out to me, just the energy of the crowd and the boys locking in defensively. Yeah, I was going to mention, but you got to it first, that crowd. Uh, I was there, 17,208. And mm-hmm. I was thinking about it. That's probably the first taste all of these guys have of Big East crowds. Um, speaking from experience, what is that like? Like, what does that do, especially for a young team that maybe – doesn't have the confidence from experience. It it means a lot to them for sure because they see that the crowd obviously is behind them. I think that's kind of needless to be said, but it does mean something when you're in that environment and it's happening in real time. You want to talk about first time uh, Big East crowd experience by senior year. We were an experienced team, but we hadn't played in the Big East yet. Our very first uh, game in the Big East was against Marquette, who was preseason number one in the Big East. They came into Omaha on New Year's Eve if I remember correctly, right? Yeah. And I remember at one point we were up like 15 going into a media timeout and Sweet Caroline started playing and 18,000 strong stood up and started yelling every lyric of the words. By the time that we got back on the floor, it was right when the course was going to happen, right? So you hear Sweet Caroline, the whole crowd goes, ba, ba, ba. And like, they just kept singing as that mark kept and the first like real taste of like oh this is going to be different this conference season you know what I mean so I kind of felt those types of goosebumps too like when the crowd was really into it after another Villanova turnover forced by the boys you could hear the roar of the crowd and you could just kind of feel like things are just turning things are just turning and of course Carl Frenner showed up Ryan Hawkins showed up you know to you know to add a little spice to the crowd as well so uh, yeah, I just, I vividly remember that first taste of a Big East crowd in Omaha. And I feel like the boys just got their first taste of what a real Big East crowd is going to look like. And, you know, we're going to need the fans to show up every day because no, there's no easy games at Big East. Everybody knows that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, mm-hmm. right, there are concerns with the way games because of that, but really they fed off of it. Uh, I think so. The thing about the away games is, I feel like the boys are going to feed off that crowd too, because there is a thing that there's like this potent energy in the air when you're on the road in the Big East, and it's electrifying. You could kind of feel it from the second you walk onto the floor for pregame warmups. You could just you could kind of taste it almost. Uh, and then as the game gets going, obviously you're in a harsh environments. You're in the Providences, the you know uh, Xavier's and the uh, butlers and the villanovas obviously in those types of arenas you're really really gonna feel it so um 
I think the boys are going to feed off of it for better or for worse. We have yet to see what that's going to look like for the boys, but um, you know, if they can feed off their home crowd, I'm sure they can, they're going to find a way to feed off the away crowds as well. Yeah, no, I'm with you and hoping for it. Uh, speaking of the home crowd, I think they're a little puzzled by last week that Monday loss to Arizona state. And then you're like, okay, now we got to play number nine Villanova and you get the 20. Right. I mean, what's the difference there? What can people expect? Because that week just doesn't make any sense, right? Exercise patience, Blue Jays fans. Exercise patience. This is a young team that hasn't had a lot of chance to play together. They are extremely talented. They are extremely talented. We'll never take that away from them. But experience is going to play a key factor. In some cases, like when you're brand new to the game and you don't know too much about it, versus a number nine Villanova at home in a Big East opener, inexperience because you don't really know what to expect can actually be a positive thing, you know, because the, they're just going in there and they're going as hard as they possibly can, not really uh, worried about, you know, the bad thing that can happen, especially coming off of a loss. You really just want to go back and play your style of basketball. So you're trying as hard to play your brand of basketball, uh, to be energized by the crowd, uh, and to try to do things the right way, experience doesn't necessarily play a part in that. Where experience plays a part in is when you're going to be on the road down seven with seven minutes left, who you're going to rely on. That's when we're really going to see, you know, if the boys have learned anything. But as you mentioned, the, to start the week with a loss against Arizona State, which none of us thought were world beaters by any stretch of the imagination, and then to beat a number one Villanova who's projected to be number one in the Big East, Oh, sorry, did I say number one? And number nine, Villanova is projected to be number one in the Big East uh, at home in front of a crazy crowd. It is a little inexplicable, but it just kind of goes to show that we must exercise patience. Absolutely. The boys are going to learn as they, as they grow into this season, as they get closer and closer together. Um, that experience against Arizona State, let's just say, if we were to beat Arizona State in a game that a lot of people thought that we are going to win, does that mean that we are automatically going to beat Villanova? I'm, I'm not quite sure. I think the boys really learned a lesson from losing to a team like Arizona State, and it really propelled them to get that win over Villanova. So things are still fine. Uh, I think if we looked at our record right now at the beginning of the season, we told the crowd, hey, this is what it's going to be after the first, I guess, second technically game of the Big East. Uh, would you take it? Everybody would say, yeah. So we're still on the right path. Uh, we just have to continue to exercise patience for this young team who's still learning how to play together, uh, especially when, in Ryan Nemhard's case, you have a starting point guard who's a freshman. It is an extremely difficult position to play. Uh, I know from experience, I was a freshman point guard, and Coach Mack and the staff quickly decided to move me to the two because there's just some things at that point in my career that I wasn't ready to handle yet, and that was me playing in a valley, not playing in a biggie, so... We must exercise patience, 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 patience. And Jays fans, when you feel like you're lacking more patience, I hope Santa Claus brought a lot of patience underneath that Christmas tree of yours because we're going to need it this year. Hey, to your credit, I mean, listeners will know you've been preaching patience all year on the pod. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. This year. It's a nerve-wracking year, right? Because you've got a team so young, so there's no sure wins, right? Like you, you could get any squad any night, but I'd been an exciting year too because they're so talented that there's no sure losses right mm -hmm. you can come back from a rough loss and, and take down any team is what we're seeing they're the boys are going to be resilient and i had a chance to be around them a little bit this summer practice with them 
a little bit when I get back to Omaha in the summertime. I usually do my own training early in the morning just to get things out of the way. And also I'm older now, so I guess I wake up a little earlier than I used to. Uh, but so I just kind of run into guys as they're doing their own workouts. A lot of guys are in there as early as 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning working on their game. Uh, they understand the privileged situation that they're in, for, which is to play for the Creighton Blue Jays, and also the responsibility that comes with wearing that jersey. Uh, they have a lot of pride, obviously, already in who they are, what the university stands for, what Creighton basketball stands for, what Coach Mack and his staff stands for. So I did expect them to have a really good bounce back game. I'm not quite sure. I, expect, I, I was hoping they would win. I'm not quite sure if that was an expectation of mine, but I knew that they were going to fight until the very end. Uh, just like our, our fight song says, fight until the fight is won, right? So, um, yeah, that, that was my expectation for them to have kind of bounce that game. Very pleasantly surprised of how it happened, especially when you talk about locking down defensively in the last eight minutes of that game. I don't think Villanova scored more than six or seven points, if I'm not mistaken, from that point on. I mean, that is elite defense. Uh, if you look through the landscape of the NCAA right now, that is elite defense to hold the team to a point a minute going down the stretch, especially a team as talented as the Villanova Wildcats are. So, um, yeah, it, it doesn't really necessarily strike me, uh, the fight that they had. Uh, but it, it was pleasantly surprising that the way that they were able to put it all together, especially down the stretch. Absolutely. Before we move on to our next topic, let me tell you guys a little bit about our partners over at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. If you haven't signed up yet with Bet Rivers, now's the time because they're offering a $250 match bonus for your first deposit. But what sets them apart is that they require just one playthrough to turn your bonus into cash money. With their new Rush Pay instant approval, withdrawing your winnings is safer, more secure, and more reliable. With basketball season tipping off, get in on the action by going to betrivers.com today or by downloading the BetRivers iOS app. Must be 21 years or older. Gambling problem? Call telephone number 1-800-GAMBLER. Speaking of concrete expectations, you're probably not going to want to put numbers on this or anything. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Being in Omaha with the fan base, like we lose to Arizona State and everybody's like, oh, the year's a wash, right? Like there's no chance. We beat Villanova and everybody's talking like six seed, seven seed. Here I mean, we go. I know you don't want to put numbers <laughs> on it and you don't really want to talk about where we're going to end up, but things are so crazy this year. What can Jays fans expect? What can we expect out of the team? And, you know, maybe where we're going to be at the end of the year. Well, we all know that the Big East is a conference that routinely puts four or five teams into the NCAA tournament. So we have to keep that into consideration. If we're able to be a top five team in the Big East, uh, we're definitely looking at the very least at an at-large bid. What an at-large bid looks like for a Big East team is usually anywhere in the range of obviously one through nine-ish, 11-ish. Uh, we've had some 12s in the past. So if you're going to ask me to put a number on what kind of seating we get in, into the NCAA tournament, first I would say let's try to be a top five team in the Big East if we're able to do that. I wouldn't be shocked if we get an eight, nine C, whether we're in it were the eight or the nine, that's going to be kind of like my range of it. Uh, I'll give myself a little bit more leg room here. We'll go eight to 10. Um, but like I said, the boys looked really good against Villanova. If they're able to continue to, you know, get better on a day-to-day -day basis, continue to show how much better to get on game day 
that is what's the most important thing. Because sometimes, you know, things that happen in the background, practices, uh, workouts, uh, shooting drills, all that stuff helps players improve for sure. And guys can actually improve as the season progresses and then just come out flat on game night. And that's unfortunate because the public doesn't really get to see all the hard work that goes into the, into, you know, making it to that point. But that doesn't mean that just because let's just say they have a bad game against a team that we felt like they should have won. Let's use the Arizona state game, for example, here. That doesn't mean that the boys haven't improved in the background. It just means that they fell flat on game day. And, you know, we also have to take it with a grain of salt. Cause like I said, this team is still very inexperienced and still doesn't have that much, uh, you know, game experience playing with each other. So we have to take that into consideration. If the boys ever look a little flat or look a little off on a game night, that doesn't necessarily mean that they've taken a step back per se. Uh, sometimes game day just kind of gets away from you and, and it happens to the best of us. I know I've been a pro player for eight years now, four years of collegiate basketball before that, and then obviously four years of high school before that. Sometimes it just so happens that you don't show your best stuff on game day and that's very unfortunate, but yeah, I would say our range is to be like an eight to ten if we're able to be one of those type team biggies. I see that to change very fluid, you know, uh, a fluid uh, expectation of mine. Uh, we'll see how things go as the season progresses, and you know, maybe I'll readjust later down the line. Yeah, I mean, you make a good point, right? It should be easier to be patient when we remember that this team was picked to finish ninth in the Big East. Mm-hmm. Right? Like these are all bright spots. We should be grateful for the Nova win as opposed to being frustrated with some other spots. Um, you started to get into the Big East standings and what's going on with that situation. Um, you mentioned we should bring up um, the DePaul COVID situation um, and some of those forfeit games against us and now Seton Hall. Uh, what do you think mm-hmm. about that? And I know there's talk of the ACC reconsidering um, their COVID rule to no longer be forfeits, but just to change the end of the season to go on uh, win percentage. What do you think? Do you think the Big East might reevaluate the way they're handling this, or how's that going to see that? That's going to be a little tough because uh, if that's going to be the case, then some teams are going to have more chances to play depending on how you know their COVID situation is, as compared to some teams who are really going to struggle with the COVID situation all year and you know not have that many chances to play. Let's just say, you know, out of a, I believe the regular season. Uh, or the Big East season is a total of 16 games for each team, if I'm not mistaken, or 18 games, right? So let's just say one team gets to play all 16 and their winning percentage doesn't look as great to a team that happens to play nine or 10. If we're going to go by a winning percentage and the team who has played 16 will be like, hey, we've played better competition than these guys. And yeah, we're going to lose a lot more games if we have a lot more chances to play. Uh, how does that hurt us in the long run? Uh, when it comes to Big East standings and, you know, obviously with tournament implications um, being a part of that as well. So uh, I think, you know, in a perfect world, a rescheduling uh, is what we would want to aim for. But again, it kind of makes it a really tight window near the end of that season when it's NCAA tournament time, which is a fixed date. Uh, obviously, Big East tournament time is a fixed date as well. Um, for them to find time on the back end of the schedule to reschedule those games without it becoming borderline an NBA schedule where teams are going to be playing maybe on back-to-back nights, flying from one place to another to make up those games. So uh, it's a very difficult thing. Uh, I would try to push more towards the rescheduling than just to forfeit if it was me. But like I said, I also understand the logistics of that and how difficult all that can be. Uh, You know, these arenas have to be booked. Most Big East uh, teams, you know, uh, share their arenas uh, with 
NBA teams, like you're talking about the Villanova situation. Yeah, they have their own thing on campus, but they love to use Wells Fargo. St. John's have their own uh, building on campus, but they love to use Madison Square Garden. Uh, Milwaukee with uh, Marquette, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks share that arena with Marquette. So, you know, all those things have to, you know, be taken into consideration. Uh, we'll see how it's all going to play out. I, I'm very intrigued to see how the, you know, biggest commissioner and, and the people who are in charge are going to take care of all this. But um, yeah, it, it's unfortunate, you know, that COVID is once again going to rear its ugly head when it comes to collegiate sports. I, I know all of us would like to just for things to go back to normal, but this is the new reality that we're living in. Uh, COVID is not going to go anywhere anytime soon, uh, apparently, uh, unfortunately as well. So uh, we're just going to have to make uh, do with it and, and do the best that we can and, and do it in as much of a safely manner as possibly can as well. Yeah, definitely a wrinkle in the season, but hopefully programs mm -hmm. have better learned how to deal with it and mitigate those risks. Um, to get back to the, the game a little bit, um, it was kind of a different look for the Jays. There's been a lot of talk this season about difference in play style, right? Being the let it fly school and not seeing as many threes this year uh, and then shooting 39% from three last game, pouring them in. Um, do you think the team's going to start to trend back towards that older style of play from the teams you were on with all the threes? Or, you know, this year, should we not get too married to let it fly and just take what comes? Definitely take what comes because the boys are going to have some off nights. I think we've already seen that a couple of times. Uh, this is not the best shooting team, overall shooting team that Coach Mech has put together. That doesn't mean that the guys can't knock down shots. It just means it hasn't really happened that way up to this point of the season. All we can go to is, you know, uh, what we've seen on tape. What you put on tape regularly is, is kind of who you are, unfortunately. So uh, we have to accept that they're a low 30s, percentage-wise from the three-point line. Uh, but the boys can let it fly in different ways. They could get defensive stops and go out in transition. we got a couple of high flyers on this team, really athletic guys. Ryan Cogburner with his wingspan. You just got to get him the ball anywhere near the basket. He's going to be able to dunk it in. Um, so they can do a number of different things to kind of change that mantra a little bit. We're used to let it fly being let it rain from three. But let it fly for this version of the Jays team could be attack the basket, go downhill hard, dunk on somebody, get the crowd going that way. So uh, we're not going to refer too far away from our let it fly uh, mantra. Uh, it's really stuck well for Coach Mack-led teams. Uh, I can speak from experience. It was something that kind of got started during my tenure there. Uh, my, my senior class, we just had an unbelievable chemistry, and everybody who came in was able to contribute in a way of knocking down shots and obviously opening up the paint for the likes of Doug McDermott and um, Gregory Echenique and, and our big fellows down low uh, when we had them. So uh, I think this year's team, uh, they can do it in, in a number of different ways. And like I said, uh, if they can get hot, we saw it at Nebraska. Uh, they started knocking out threes a little bit. We saw it versus Villanova, started knocking out threes a little bit. The paint opens up so much. And guys like Hawkins, guys like Carl Brenner, uh, they're really going to be able to, you know, uh, contribute due to the fact that the paint is going to open up so much if the boys are able to just put a little bit more pressure on defenses from the three-point line. So um, I'm anxious to see how that's going to go. Uh, but you know what I, how I feel if I want to see as many threes, you know, fall as possible. So they're going to have to continue to shoot those balls and shoot those balls and, you know, step into their shots with confidence and let it fly like we always do. Yeah. 
You started talking about Kalkbrenner, which is a great segue into the Ryans. We're going to have to cover each of them this past game, I think. The three Ryans. Have we figured out a name for them yet? Because the three Ryans start and we're about almost, we're definitely a third of the way uh, from the season. So we need to figure out a little bit of a nickname for them. That, that's for a later time. I, I'll, I'll let you continue to hold it. No, I know nothing is stuck. Like the Creighton Twitter account is clearly trying to like make these nicknames mm-hmm. work. Nothing's working yet. We'll see. But Cockrunner mm-hmm. this week is on the Big East honor roll. Um, this past week, he had averaging 12 and 9 with three and a half blocks. Villanova game, uh, 8 and 9 with five blocks. But I would argue that stat line doesn't even capture the impact he had. I mean, he was huge on defense. Not even close to capturing the stat line. You mentioned the blocks, but are we talking about the, the amount of shots that he altered just by his presence alone? There was one point where the Villanova Wildcats just refused to go into the paint. I think there was one famous clip where a uh, big boy from Villanova literally ran around Cogbrenner in circles uh, inside the paint before releasing a shot that ultimately got deflected. So uh, he's been doing such a great job of, you know, dividing some defensive protection at the rim. Uh, obviously, his size and his wingspan certainly helps, but also it takes a little bit of basketball IQ to be in those right positions as often that he, as he is so you know, you're right. That sideline does not even begin to describe the impact that he had on the game. And, you know, not only defensively, but uh, offensively as well, you know, keeping some basketballs alive. He might not get credited for those rebounds, but, you know, the tip outs, uh, you know, having him and Ryan Hawkins in there really fighting for the boys. Ryan Hawkins might ultimately come up with the with the ball, but, you know, it's Cockburner that kind of started that initial scrum where the ball gets loose in the first place. So, uh, big time effort on his part. I love to see uh, when he shows emotion. I mentioned it after the Nebraska game. I'm going to mention it again. When he gets really fired up about his play, you could tell that he's about to step into another level, especially defensively. And, you know, the boys, if they're not going to knock down as many three-point shots on offense, are going to need all the defensive help that they can get. So him being fired up, him being in the right places, uh, him leading the team defensively and then getting the crowd fired up. Uh, you love to see it. It shows growth in my eyes. It shows confidence in my eyes. And I'm looking forward to him doing much more of that in Biggie's play. Oh, yeah. Even just from his body language at the game, there was a, a new level of... Hell yeah, he's flexing now. Right? What? <laughs> seen that from him before. I, I've never seen that level of assertiveness just looking at him. <laughs> You know, we've been looking for that for a little while to see him really get that fired up. Well, I must ask you, since you're the drummer boy, right? You see, you are in the front line seeing all of that. How does it feel when you see that he gets a big time blog? How does the crowd react? I can only see it from my vantage point of of looking at what the broadcast is showing. I mean, it's huge, right? Everybody loves it. Um, But what struck me this game was like, he gets a lot of blocks up around the rim, tipping stuff you know, tipping it towards teammates. But when he had that block on Gillespie going in on the left mm-hmm. block for layup, I've never seen him hit a ball that hard. And it, it seemed almost like a new look, like he's really starting to come into his own as a rim protector. So that was really exciting to see. But defensively, you'd be surprised what confidence could do for you. Uh, I remember my senior year, obviously going into that year was the best that I felt defensively. And I literally had this idea that I can lock up anybody in the Big East. And it might be a little bit of fool's gold, but that defensive confidence is also really key uh, when you're playing these big-time players. So for Cockbrenner to be able to 
continue to build on that confidence, it's going to be huge for the Jays, especially as we get into Big East play, more and more into Big East play, I should say. Speaking of confidence, this week should also be a confidence boost for Ryan Nemhard picking up his fourth Big East Freshman Player of the Week. Okay, okay, Canada, I see you, kid. Yeah, uh, averaging 10 and a half um, with six assists that week, and against Nova, mm-hmm. he had 14 and four. Um, I think a lot of the team's hopes in the next few years are kind of being pinned on him. Uh, what are you seeing out of him this year, and especially at that Nova game? Uh, what I've seen so far from Nemhard. First of all, Canada, stand up. You already know what it is. Ryan, I'm going to root for you no matter what you do, brother. You can do no wrong in my eyes. Uh, what I've seen from him, uh, a very extremely talented, heady freshman point guard, right? He kind of got thrusted into the starting lineup. Uh, I want to say that, you know, him and Sharif was up there for who was going to start. Unfortunately for Sharif, injury concerns kind of played into the way of how he could compete for that starting spot. Ryan kind of gets thrusted in there and, and he looked very, very good early on. You know, he looked at someone who could really control the pace of play. Uh, he wasn't turning the ball over too, too much. Uh, made a bunch of heady, high basketball IQ plays early on in the Jays game. And then as most freshman seasons go, a little bit of a dip there. Uh, in their losses, obviously, it really showed itself. Um, he started turning the ball over a little bit more. But you see a freshman point guard that is learning day by day, steadily getting better, steadily getting better, uh, improving on his jump shooting as well, uh, not only relying on that floater when he gets into the paint, and not only relying on him, his ability to pass the ball, but now we're seeing him actually being able to catch and shoot with confidence and knocking down some tough shots. So uh, we already saw he had a game winner early on in his career. I never had a game winner, like a walk-off the way that he did. Uh, so we know that he's the type of player that is not scared of the big moments. He's definitely going to want the ball. If the Jays fans are relying on him in the future to kind of be, you know, the, 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 the steady player that's really going to be the guy the guys are going to rally around, he's a good guy to pick because he's smart. Uh, he knows how to play the game of basketball. He's unselfish. And Coach Rack is going to hand him the keys to this offense. He pretty much already has. And he's only going to get better and better as that goes on. He reminds me a lot of, Austin Chapman that I played with. Uh, obviously, Austin Chapman was in a situation where he wasn't asked to score as much, uh, but Austin knew how to get everybody in the right spots all the time, came off pick and roll, head high, uh, knew how to make the right passes, but more importantly, more importantly, knew when to make the right passes, which is what I see from Brian Nemhart. So, uh, yeah, that, that is my um, evaluation of him so far. Uh, we'll see how he goes. Uh, you know, how, you see, we'll see how that changes, how he improves as the year goes on and as his career progresses. Yeah. No, and as well as he's playing, I would stick with the mantra for the team. I would urge patience on fans, right? I mean, absolutely. Marcus, and he's playing really well and he's handling that pressure well, but still patience. Mm -hmm. I mean, true freshman point guard and growing. You got to remember a true freshman point guard. Like that is a very tough, the point guard spot is arguably the toughest position to play. I would say it is the toughest position to play for a true point guard to come to a system where, you know, pace of play is what is preached. You hear Coach Mack, even on the broadcast, I can hear it on TV, when the ball goes, if they get a defensive rebound or if the ball goes in, he's yelling push, 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 push on every single possession. So, you know, they need to get those, uh, they need a high possession game. Uh, that's, that's what Coach Mack has really based his offense on. A lot of possessions, multiple chances, 
um, to get shots up, obviously crashing offensive boards and trying to get second chance points as well. Uh, Ryan Amard is going to be the key to that because he's able to get the ball out and push the pace, get to his spot, organize the guy, the guys in a quick fashion and, you know, run the offense the way that coach Mack and his staff would like them to. So he's going to be a major piece, major piece, major player for the Jays for years to come. Yeah. And I think that pace of play adjustment kind of explains some of the turnover concerns that he's faced. And I think mm -hmm. it's just a matter of time, right. Until he gets the control of that and, and adjust to our system. The two go hand in hand. You can't ask a guy to run 100 miles an hour and not expect him to turn the ball over every once in a while. Uh, but even as I say that, I know what I know from Ryan, a little bit that I know of the kid. He's a big time perfectionist. I know he's looking at tapes of himself turning the ball over and he's disgusted. He's sick to his stomach. He doesn't want to see it. So we're also going to see improvements uh, in that arena for him as as quickly as possible i'm i'm sure of it I, I would bet my bottom dollar on it uh the kid loves to hoop man that kid loves to hoop so you know i know he's watching tape i know the coaching staff is watching tape with him they're going to figure out his turnovers and they're going to write that shit for sure sure thing i think that takes us to our third ryan um hawkins <laughs> like the shirt you got on yeah hawkins high school baby let's go stranger <laughs> things fans where are you guys at <laughs> what a week for him i mean 19 points, 11 rebounds, two assists, two steals against Villanova. I mean, he was doing it all. Um, I mean, clearly an amazing performance individually, but it seems like in this team with the youth that we talk about all the time, he's kind of, you, you maybe you wouldn't agree, but it seems like he's kind of becoming the elder statesman, kind of the leader, the older player on this youthful team. What do you think about his performance and, and maybe that assertion? He is currently the Jays' best player. Uh, that is subject to change, but he is the Jays' best player. He is the guy that they, in my opinion, to run their offense around a lot more, have him be a lot more of a focal point of the offense. Uh, he had a couple of 25-point games. I think he just put up 19 against Villanova. Uh, elder statement is true, right? He has a ton of experience. This is a guy who can use his experience in these types of situations because he is a champion. He knows how to play in those high-pressure, high-leverage games. And he delivers. That's, that's what he does. He, he delivers, even against Arizona State, probably the worst game, I think, of his Crane career so far. But he bounces back and has a great game against Villanova, uh, definitely a much better team than Arizona State is. So we know that the talent is there. We know that the know-how is there. Uh, but what, really, uh, what I'm really liking from uh, Ryan Hawkins is the leadership that he brings for, like I said, such a young core and a team that hasn't really played too much together. Uh, they're able to feed off of his leadership. He makes heady plays in the right moments. He seems to always be in the right spot offensively and defensively. Whether or not shots is falling for him is going to be, you know, uh, one thing, but he's always cashing the boards. He's going to be up there in the, you know, low teens of rebounds uh, on, on any day. So, He's been a godsend for the Jays, and I'm obviously very happy that he's wearing a, a Crane jersey right now. Um, the leadership is what this team needs, and until the other guys kind of develop their ways to be leaders, uh, right, they can all lean on Ryan Hawkins for the time being to have that leadership and to you know steer the ship uh, into the right direction whenever things go astray a little bit. Yeah, and certainly we're all excited to have him come to the squad this year, but I don't think anybody really expected him to adjust this quickly and this well. Mm -hmm. He's been tearing it up. Uh, I know we like to avoid comparisons to former Creighton forwards, 
don't don't let let's not do it. Last time I did that, he had that bad game against Arizona State. We're we're axing that away. Ryan Hawkins is his own man. You're the man, dude. If you're listening, Ryan Hawkins, you're the man. You're your own guy. I'm not gonna pick you to anybody, even though some moves look similar. That doesn't mean that I I have the right to compare. I just please have don't have one of those Arizona State games again. We need you, brother. In lieu of any type of comparison, I will just say his ability to be one of our best three-point shooters in the year where maybe that's not our forte, but also he can slide in and score in the post. Now we've seen against tough Big East competition. Uh, I mean, what do you think about that flexibility? It certainly seems helpful um, in an offense that's still kind of finding its identity, right? He's a little bit of a Swiss Army knife offensively because he's got the three-point shot. He's got the mid-range game. He's got that little floater when he gets into the paint off of a downhill drive. He can also back that guys down, and his footwork is so that when he his primary move is taken away, he has a secondary and a third move they could rely on. So he is that Swiss Army knife for the Jays offensively. I'm very pleasantly surprised. Uh, obviously, didn't know too much about him coming in aside from his uh, resume. I hadn't seen him play too much got to see him play a little bit this summer and still didn't see everything that he's showing right now I guess he didn't want to show me everything while I was on campus and and uh in the same gym as the Jays but uh he's shown me a lot and you know his offensive game definitely deserves respect uh the issue that's going to come is obviously a lot more teams are going to uh focus their game plan on him seeing as he is can do a Everything. This is what I'm expecting the likes of Alex O'Connell. We still haven't seen Arthur Kaluma's best game. Uh, Ryan Nemhard. Those guys are really going to have to step up when teams are really spending the key in on Hawkins. Uh, and I'm expecting that to happen because those other guys are extremely talented too. Coming into the game, uh, I would have bet that Alex O'Connell would have been our leading scorer, but he has decided upon himself, and I'm assuming with the coaching staff too, that he needs to be the best perimeter defender, and he's done an amazing job of that. I'm never going to take that away from him. In fact, I praise him for taking that step as a senior to be that defensive leader uh, that he's been in the first third of the season so far. Um, But Ryan Hawkins has filled into that spot of, you know, leading scorer, best offensive player. And like I said, in my opinion, I think that they should really kind of uh, run their offense a little bit more through him, kind of use him a little bit more as a decoy, have more actions, you know, where the defense is focusing on him and, you know, you blindside him with a backdoor cut or, or whatever the case may be. I'm not the offensive genius that Coach Mack is, so uh, we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, very pleasantly surprised I think all Jays fans are. Absolutely. And you mentioned you can't talk about leadership on the team this year without talking about O'Connell, certainly a huge contributor. Um, But also some good performances turned in by some young guys. Um, Roddy gives us 20 minutes, uh, eight points and three assists on three for five shooting. Um, another stat line that maybe doesn't describe his impact. He had some huge moments in this game. He did. That I think, obviously, I think the big one, the nail in the coffin, was that deep three with the shot clock winding down. Uh, the broadcast camera panned out uh, after he knocked it down, and everybody rose to their feet. It was insane. It was such a crazy feeling. Uh, it was about, I think, 4.45 a.m. for me when that shot went in. And I know my neighbors hate my guts now because I just started screaming. Because uh, mind you, like I said, I wear my headphones to watch the game so that the neighbors can't hear the broadcast or whatever. But now I'm yelling, so I might as well just <laughs> leave the audio. Uh, <laughs> I might as well just leave the audio on and let them hear the whole game. But 
Yeah, big time, big time uh, shots down the stretch. Obviously, his uh, impact as far as bringing energy and getting the crowd all riled up uh, certainly means a lot. For a team that is lacking uh, with Sharif's absence, that defensive uh, mind on the perimeter, uh, him, I love Trey Alexander's fight as well. And then obviously mixing with Alex O'Connell's uh, leadership defensively. Those three guys have really stepped up defensively on the perimeter for the Jays. Um, and he deserves all the credit. It's a very tough uh, spot to be in as someone who comes off the bench and is asked to do what he is asked to do, uh, to be a defensive focused player first and then kind of allow the offense to come to you whenever it comes to you. On some nights it will, on some, time, on some nights it won't. Um, but I feel like he was ready for the moment. You mentioned him being three of five. Uh, and then obviously all the little things that he did as well um, matters for the Jays. And another guy who's going to bring that that toughness, that fight, that is who Roddy is. Uh, looking forward to much more play like this from him moving forward. Yeah. And you mentioned briefly um, Trey Alexander there, but I don't want to gloss over him too. I mean, he had 10 points, four rebounds, um, five for eight shooting. Uh, and that's his mm-hmm. career high point total. I believe his career high minutes too. So I think he's often a guy who can kind of fly under the radar, but sneakily and gradually he's starting to get more and more minutes and he's been solid. I mean, he's really held up well against any competition, right? Very impressive performance, especially his drives going downhill. He's exercising patience. We talk about it on this podcast, but when he goes downhill, he has the ability to kind of put dip his shoulder just enough to get the defender off balance. He exercises patience in that moment because a lot of us, when we do that, we like to rush our way up into our layup, uh, but he slows himself down. He kind of surveys the field. Uh, he had one incredible pass. I forgot what game it was. It might have been against BYU or or maybe this Villanova game. I'm kind of blanking uh, between those games, but he got into the paint, did the same thing. It looked like he was going to go for a layup, but he skipped past it to a teammate and knocked down the three. It was definitely against BYU. It was Alex O'Connell who made that three kind of on the wing. Uh, but I'm very impressed with you know, game by game with how much better he's gone with his decision-making. A little bit early on in the season, whenever he would get a defensive rebound, my mind was thinking, man, just give it to Ryan Nemhard and run the wing, you know? But now we're seeing him being able to take the ball, push the pace, set up the offense in his own right. You know, he might not be setting up for a play, but he might be setting up for an action that the Jays are accustomed to that could get him a quick, easy uh, open look that maybe a half-court set would not. So... Uh, I've been very impressed with his play. Like I said, his competitive nature on the defensive end, uh, he hasn't given up anything easy to his opponents. Of course, he's made mistakes. He's a freshman that's going to come. Of course, he's been in a bad spot sometimes. He's a freshman that's going to happen. Um, but he competes. He sprints out for closeout. He boxes out. He grabs defensive rebounds when he can. And he's a really good downhill driver right now. Obviously, the three-point shot is going to continue to come for him. We see them knock down some threes uh, this year. It looks like a pretty good, you know, shooting motion. So my expectation would be with more reps, more confidence, those shots are going to fall at a much higher pace. Uh, but man, this this freshman class is is good, man. Like I said, we haven't seen Arthur Kaluma's best game yet, and that is yet to come. He's a guy that I think all Jays fans had high expectations for and continue to have high expectations for. Um, he's going to come into his own. I have no doubt about it. But until then, you know, as the freshmen who are really galvanizing the team right now are, are Nemhard, um, for sure, for sure, Nemhard with his play and Trey Alexander with his performances so far. Yeah, 
Yeah, I would echo what you said. Decision making for Alexander getting impressive, starting to seem a little beyond his years. Um, mm -hmm. Right, like having to take a larger role in Sharif's absence. Um, yeah, I mean, Kaluma not getting too many minutes, uh, the highest rated recruit in Creighton history. Um, do you think that's just an experience thing and, and it'll start to come and it'll gain more comfort or a team chemistry thing? Or, or what do you think about that situation? I think he just needs to adjust his style of play just a little bit. The reason why he's not getting nearly as many minutes as you would think is he's been in foul trouble a lot. Uh, you know, so that is a part of the inexperience that's going to bite him in the behind until he figures it out. Um, but when he's on the floor, you could definitely see the talent is there. You could definitely see the explosiveness is there. Uh, you know, scoring is one thing. I, I try not to look at scoring so much as uh, well, when guys are this young into their career uh, and as the career progresses and stuff, like coaches are trying to find the best solution to win games. Sometimes they ask for you to sacrifice a little bit on that offensive end. So, you know, I'm not taking that uh, into too much consideration when it comes to Arthur Kaluma. But what he needs to do is to kind of stay out of foul trouble and give, get himself into more of a rhythm uh, just by simply being out there on the court. Uh, if you keep getting into foul trouble and you keep being subbed out, you're never really going to find that true rhythm where you, we can see the type of special player that he really is because he is that special of a player. He just needs to make sure that he keeps himself on the floor and you know, let the chips fall where they may after that. It, it, it's unfortunate that he's been, you know, asked to be on the bench as much as he has because of those types of situations. Uh, if I'm him, I'm thinking to myself, hey, like before the first media timeout, let's not pick up that first cheap foul on a reach in or, you know, on the cheap box out or whatever the case may be, just so that I can, you know, get myself a little bit more acclimated into, uh, into the game and, and with the guys around me. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see his development because he certainly has the talent uh, I think the coaching staff obviously still trusts him a lot. He hasn't been removed from the starting lineup uh, as of yet. So uh, we'll see how that goes. I, I have high expectations for him. Yeah, I think Jay's fans should definitely be excited about him, right? Like we know the talents there. We've seen flashes. He's had some incredible plays this year. But yeah, finding that rhythm, maybe the next step. I uh, was looking through the history books today a little bit. Uh, <laughs> oh, if that's all right. Let's see it. Of course, your senior year, right? A legendary class, huge team. Mm -hmm. um, that Marquette game I was at was, looked a lot different back then, but incredible time. But, um, you know, a little bit earlier, I think your freshman, sophomore year, it seemed like a much more inexperienced team, a little younger. Um, mm -hmm. Anything you can say from your experience about how that changes the way Mac is going to coach this team and, and how he has to adjust going forward? Oh, uh that's a good question, um, because back then, my freshman and sophomore year, Coach Mack was still trying to build the culture that is established right now. So I would say that this class obviously is miles ahead of us when we were at that point, our freshman season. I'm talking about myself and Doug, uh, Ethan Roggy, Grant Gibbs was a redshirt. Ethan redshirted later that year because of a foot uh, plantar fasciitis injury that he developed during that year, uh, which ultimately became our senior class, right? Um, but Coach Mack was trying to, you know, establish his own system. Uh, and he still has a lot of the guys who were recruited by Dana Altman in his, uh, in the program. Uh, so like him and the stuff that Coach Altman was doing and the stuff that he wanted to get implemented into that year. So 
uh, especially our freshman year, that was, that was very difficult because we just had a lot of stuff that we had to learn on the fly and figure out as we, as we went. Uh, sophomore year, obviously, after a whole year of playing together, we knew our strengths and weaknesses, which is why our team, you know, catapulted itself into winning the Missouri Valley Tournament and then obviously uh, getting an NCAA Tournament berth where we beat Alabama and then lose to North Carolina in the second round. Um, this team, because the culture is already established, you've got all Coach Mack recruits. Uh, his system has been in play for a decade plus now. Uh, they definitely have an advantage uh, on us, but that doesn't mean like I've been preaching on this podcast that we should not exercise patience. Like we, we're still going to need it because they are still 18, 19, 20 year old men trying to figure out, you know, the college basketball game and, you know, the basketball game in general, uh, if we want to be a little bit less specific about it. So um, it, it was trying times for sure back then. Uh, we definitely went through hell a couple of times uh, trying to establish our culture and trying to establish you know, who we were, how we were going to play, who we were going to play uh, through, and, you know, how everybody else is going to uh, react according to that. Um, but I tell you what, having a player like Doug McDermott on your team certainly <laughs> eases that uh, quite a bit. Like, we all kind of just fell into our role pretty easily uh, with how, with the greatness that Doug showed so early on in his career. So uh, that definitely helped the puzzle pieces align correctly at probably a much earlier rate than I would assume, you know, the coaching staff at that point in time had anticipated. Yeah. And finally, I know you normally the one asking the questions. You always turn it on the guest, talk about their time at, at CU a little bit. And I wanted to yeah. ask, you know, clearly in the holiday season now, uh, any f fond memories, any favorite things you remember looking back uh, CU years, the holiday times? Oh, holiday time for sure. That Marquette game, 110% uh, senior year. Uh, man, I already talked about the uh, Sweet Caroline moment uh, early on in the podcast, but just that whole day, I, I like, I will still have dreams about that whole day. That's how like vivid it is in my memory because it was the first time that we were going into the Big East, our first ever Big East game in Omaha on New Year's Eve. We were the last game to play that night if I'm not mistaken it was the first time that they did the uh, Big E's New Year countdown so game started from one or noon central time all the way up to our game so the whole game or the whole day I'm sorry we wake up uh, we go to shoot around we come out of there and there's a game going we get to the door for nap time there's a game going we get to our to the arena before you know our pregame warm-up there's a game going so the whole time we're just seeing the results after results after results and we're already trying to like mentally trying to see where we stack up against everybody else. And then we have that game against Marquette where we essentially control the whole game. I think we ended up being by 16 or so points, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I had a really good game that day too. So I, I felt really good about myself and really good about the team heading to Big East play. Uh, the sweet Caroline moment happened. Uh, as we're walking off the court, I'm yelling Happy New Year to everybody that was, you know, sitting on the sidelines and stuff and walking out of the tunnel as well. Uh, and then Coach Mack proceeds to tell us that he's got hotel rooms for all of us out in West Omaha so that we don't go out <laughs> and celebrate New Year's Eve downtown Omaha. So, man, like that, that memory for sure is one that is very fond uh, to me and one I'm going to remember forever. Uh, definitely my favorite, you know, Christmas slash New Year's holiday season uh, game and 
experience that I had during my collegiate time in Omaha. That's a great one. That works. That'll work for sure. <laughs> Is there any surprise questions that you got for me? Uh, nothing wild. You know, a little bit of mention. You're killing it overseas, man. But checking the stats, doing a great yeah. job. Keep it up. Excited to see where you I'm, get. I'm, I'm trying, man. So as of this recording, you know, things are subject to change. My team is currently tied for first place in the Polish Basketball League. So that is exciting stuff. Uh, just like Jack mentioned, I've been playing decently well. Uh, and, you know, the thing about basketball is it's kind of a fluid thing where you feel good about yourself. You are confident. Things are just going to go uh, right for you. And I've been fortunate to be doing it for eight years now. Uh, and yeah, we're in the middle of my eighth season. Things are going pretty good, Jack. I appreciate you asking that and making sure that the fans, you know, know a little bit about what I'm doing overseas. I'm not just over here twiddling my thumb in Europe, you know. I'm actually I'm actually being semi-productive. I have a. You're an Omaha guy. You are a CU. Uh, you're a Creightonian. You are a CU pet band member. You are the drummer boy. I gotta ask you the typical questions. Favorite restaurant to eat in Omaha? Come on, Jack. Give it to me. Oh, see, that's great. But I've been here my whole life. So exactly. That, so who else would, has better insight than you? I think Saddle Creek Breakfast is like number one, right? Clearly only for breakfast, but it's so good. You can't beat that. Yeah. I feel like breakfast food is the undisputed champ of food. I, I don't know why I feel that way. I feel like everyone that I talk to, everything that they mention is like breakfast stuff, like uh, rest in peace, Leavenworth Cafe. Uh, Lisa's radio we found out when Toby was on a podcast and that's still up and running um oh J Jimmy's egg I think that's a chain but I kind of like it um never been exactly well, you need to try Jimmy's egg at one point it's on like 72nd and Dodge or whatever or 78 and Dodge somewhere along those lines um but yeah no breakfast is the undefeated champ of food in my opinion everybody loves a good a good breakfast restaurant the midwest uh, I guess I gravy on every yeah Everything's <laughs> what more could you gravy on everything is a fact. What more could you ask for? I guess I can't technically ask you a uh, favorite arena to you know play in. So I must ask you favorite opponent to play against. As a Jays fan? As a Jays fan, yeah. My middle school basketball career. No, I can't bring I can't go all the way back. See, I didn't have the history books that you had today, so I can't go all the way that far back into your into your basketball playing career? Uh, I think I've always, I've been waiting on a, a Duke matchup. My whole family are like Duke basketball fans. So I've just been like waiting mm -hmm. for the day that we can beat them and I can brag about it. But I think, I mean, honestly, Villanova normally, but I went to that Marquette game. What was that like eight years ago? And that was amazing. Mm -hmm. That's still one of my top memories. So I think Villanova normally, but that Marquette game and then that Seton Hall game from a year or two ago, those stand out. Oh yeah, when we won the we won the share of the Big East regular season, the first time in Max uh, Big East career. So I guess you remember my junior year when we lost to Duke in the tournament in Philadelphia, right? Since your whole family are Duke fans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At that point, I was it's like, those things. Right? It's those things to talk about it. It was a very conflicted house that night. Mm -hmm. I can o I can only imagine, but everyone was wearing blue, blue and white. I I can guarantee you that. Uh, let's see if there's any other question I would like to ask you. Favorite spot on campus? How about that last question before we head out of here? Ooh. I got to go um, with the the CSDJ uh, department, uh, formerly JMC. Uh, I don't actually. What was your major at school? 
I'm a psychology guy. Okay, so I thought I might get yeah. You. So I was at a Hickson or Hickson Reed or whatever it's called, all the way in the back of campus. So when I lived in Opus the last two years, man, it was a trek to get there. But freshman sophomore year, not so bad because you know you live uh, like a little bit closer to the Brandeis area. Uh, but yeah, senior year, whoo, and then for whatever reason, psychology department. I hope you guys have changed this. But quit with that 750 classes. Like, come on, nobody's awake at that point in time. Quit with the 830s. It's like start at 930, like every other major, please and thank you. I don't know why psychology students have to suffer through that. But hey, shouts out to all you guys who made it just like me in the psychology department. It's a very tough one. And I'm very happy that I got my degree, not only from a good institution, but in that field as well. Jack, I got to say thank you so much, brother, for being on the podcast. You know, I love to uh, shout out everybody that, you know, helped make this thing possible. You're definitely one of those guys who does all the work behind the scenes, the editing, you know, the scheduling of meetings uh, and, and everything else. You know, there's a wide range of things that you do. So I appreciate you so much. Uh, is there any last word for Jay's fans? You want to preach exercise patience like I have or what? We've hit patience home. Thanks for having me on, man. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Roll damn Jays. I mean, you're going to be on all the time. You're literally in the background listening and <laughs> taking notes. So I'll see you next week, essentially, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, but honestly, until then, stay safe. You know, have a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. And that's to all the Jays fans out there. And everybody listen to the podcast, whatever it is that you're celebrating during this time, this time of year. I hope that you're able to do it safely and with your family and friends, your loved ones, your close ones. Uh, stay safe. As always, make sure to like and subscribe to feel the the Field of 68 Media Network. Ooh, almost forgot our media network there. The Field of 68 Media Network for content. All the love, the feedback, the support that you guys have been sending my way. Stay safe. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Go Jays.